you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can either, either click to, turn to, Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. We're in the series called Fruit of the Spirit. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to use 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 to help unpack this word today. So we've been walking through the fruit of the Spirit. And we've been taking these different characteristics of love, like joy and peace and patience and kindness. And I'll read the verse here in a second. And we've been unpacking those to try to help us understand what they mean. I've told you that it's my personal opinion, my personal belief, that there's one fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And then it displays itself eight different ways. Or it has eight different characteristics or eight different ways that it displays this issue of love or lives out love. So here's what, the, here's what the fruit of the Spirit says. We'll start reading Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, but the, spirit the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's the word today. We're going to look at this word faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. In other words, there's not a law against faithfulness. There's not a law against joy. There's not a law against peace. In other words, this issue of faithfulness is something that we all need. I don't know if you've been around somebody. I've, I've had the pleasure of being around people that, that, that have gone through great tragedy in their life or great struggle in life. They've walked through a wilderness in their life, and that they, they, they remain faithful. They remain faithful to God in every season of life, regardless of what they face. They remain faithful to Him. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I'm around people like that, it brings me great encouragement, right? It brings me great encouragement that people can go through tragedy. They can go through wilderness experiences. They can go through doubt and fear and questions and, and all of those other things, suffering, and yet they remain faithful. <coughs> they, they remain faithful to God. And so I, I just want to help you this morning just, just, just tell you, sometimes the greatest act of, of faith that we can have is faithfulness. Just being faithful to where God has planted you. Just being faithful to the season that God has planted you in. A lot of times we look at this issue of faith, and we talk about the big stuff, right? We talk about the, the person that, that surrendered to ministry or the, the person that surrendered to missions and, you know, went around the world and did missions. Or we talk about the person that left a, a, the place that they had known and their family and everything and went a thousand miles away and, and started a ministry or started a church. And sometimes we look at this issue of faith and we talk about, we talk about the big stuff. And, and, and that's like what gets the press. Well, what happens is it kind of devalues our life of faith, right? And so sometimes the greatest act of faith that you and I can have is just remaining faithful in the season, faithful where God has planted you, faithful in the situation that God has planted you. Sometimes that is the greatest act of faith. When someone remains in a difficult situation, you stay faithful to God. Someone remains in a wilderness. Someone remains in just this difficult tragedy or in their life and they just simply remain faithful to him when you, you look at scripture you find this all through scripture it, it, it was job right job lost entirely he lost everything lost his children lost his health lost his job <coughs> lost his income lost his resources lost his influence in the in 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 the area and yet it's said of job job <laughs> almost said job i'm so sorry <laughs> it's the steroids <laughs> i am <laughs> anyway i need i that shouldn't have come out. Um, <laughs> I am taking steroids for my cough, okay? That's what it is. So I guess and that's, it just came out. I guess you could say I'm taking performance-enhancing drugs to do my job. So, uh, <laughs> so you shouldn't always say everything that's on your mind, right? Especially when you have a mic. And so, yeah, I'll end it right there. And so... Uh, 
So Daniel, Daniel goes through great difficulty. I mean, Daniel went through great political difficulty, and he went through great difficulty. I mean, the government was like against him. Uh, the, the fact is, the government of their time was very anti-God. They, it was against the law to pray to God. It was against the law to worship him. And as a result of that, you look at Daniel's life, and Daniel just simply stays faithful to him in the season, in the place where God had planted him. You, you see that with Ruth. Ruth went through unbelievable challenges. And yet, you look at Ruth's life, and Ruth remained faithful to God exactly where he had planted her. You look at Esther's life. Esther had kind of the same story as, as Ruth, and yet it's said of Esther. In fact, as Esther said, for such a time as this, I was born for this. I was born in this time. And you look at Ruth, and you find that Ruth stayed, <coughs> you find that Ruth stayed faithful to God in the season and the place where he had planted him. Simon Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 3, said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, Simon Peter reminds us about the goodness of God. We looked at the goodness of God last week, and he reminded us about this issue of a living hope that we as believers, we, we, don't, we don't grieve like the rest of the world. We don't have hope like the rest of the world. In other words, our, our point of reference is beyond this world. It, 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 it's bigger than this world. I mean, religion, just real quickly, religion says this. Religion says, I am good, so God owes me. Religion teaches you this, that I am good, and because some religious thing that I do, because I go to church, because I read my Bible, because of some religious thing that I do, religion tells you this, that I am good, so God owes me. That is not the gospel. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says this, is we, 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 were, we, were, we were born in such a way that, that our backs were towards God. In other words, we weren't followers of him. And because of his grace and because of his mercy, he sought us out. He, he gave us mercy, and as a result of that, we've been born again. We're a child of God, and we've accepted him. And because of that, we have this, we have this, this living hope. We have this hope on the other side of this world. We have this hope on the other side of our pain. We have this hope on the other side of the wilderness that we may be in. See, this issue of hope is like a, a universal human, human um, dilemma or human experience. I mean, when you start looking at this issue of hope, you, you find that everybody deals with this issue of hope. Uh, Viktor Frankl is someone that I've read from a lot. Viktor Frankl was, 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 was a Jew, and he was from Australia. Uh, he was put in the labor camps. He was in Auschwitz, and he was put in the, aver, uh, the labor camps. He's written a book called, and many years ago, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. I mean, it's an incredible book about this issue of his life in the, in the concentration camps. And so Viktor Frankl would write, and he says, you know, we were all in this difficult circumstance together. And some survived, and some thrived through it. And he says others didn't. And the ones that didn't, they had this, this poor reference of, 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 of hope. He said, in other words, that they had this issue of hope that, 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 that on the other side of this, things would get better. And, and, and as a result of that, they would, they would be in this situation. They would become cruel. They would become bitter. And it was one of the ways that they would try to, try to get power. But he writes this. I'll just read from him. He said, some just, you know what? Some just gave up. He said, usually this happens quite suddenly, the symptoms of which were familiar to us in experienced camp inmates. We all feared for this moment in our friends. Usually it began one morning when the prisoners simply refused to get dressed or wash or, or go out to the parade grounds for inspection. No appeal for help, help, no blows, no threats had any effect. They just laid there. They had given up. Nothing bothered them anymore because they had, because they had, they had, no, they had no hope. 
And then he goes on to say that, that, that many of those, those people, they, they just had this temporary hope, hope to stay alive or hope things were going to get better or hope, I am so sorry. I usually put, I'm having some ADD moments this morning. I usually put my phone on airplay mode or my tablet and I didn't. And now my family has started this text thread, you know, like, like as a snowball running down the mountain out of control. And so that is what is going on with my family right now. Don't they know I'm in church trying to do the Lord's work? <laughs> they do not care. Thank you. Thank you, Keith. So, so it's now on airplane mode, so there should not be any more distractions, right? So Frankel said that the ones that were able to overcome Auschwitz were those that had this those that had this living hope, they had this fixed, fixed reference beyond Auschwitz, beyond this world. For many of them, they would think that, that once we got out of here, our lives would t turn around. And those that did get out and their life didn't turn around, he said they got discouraged and they had despair. And Frankel writes these words, he says, Life in a concentration camp tears open a soul and exposes its depths and its foundations. The Apostle Paul wrote many of the same things. And the Apostle Paul would say for us, we have to come to this place. If we're going to get through suffering, if we're going to get through trials, if we're going to stay faithful in the seasons where God has planted us, we have to have a reference point beyond this world. For many people, the reason they despair, the reason they lose hope is because they walk through life hoping their circumstances are going to change. One day they will love me. One day they will accept me. One day I will get that job. One day it will work out. One day I will get married. One day people will appreciate me. One day they will say they're sorry. And he says people like that, when that doesn't happen, just like the prisoners, the inmates in Auschwitz, all of a sudden they have despair and they, and, and they give up. And so what the Apostle Paul is trying to help us to understand, when we're going to look at this issue of faithfulness, that, that the way that we walk through life, the way that we stay faithful in the situations or circumstances where God has placed us, is when we have this living hope. In other words, we understand that this world is temporary. This is not all there is. And we have a reference point beyond the world. So I want to give you three things this morning how we should stay faithful through suffering, faithful through difficult times. And, and one of the ways that we do that is God uses people around you. The first principle is this, is one of the ways we stay faithful through suffering is people will encourage you. In other words, people will encourage you. You, you need to have people around you that can speak life into you. You need to have people around you that can encourage you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, the Scripture says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer... We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and to exhort you in your faith. In other words, all of a sudden Paul knew. Paul understood that it's, 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 it's a distance thing. In other words, Paul was there in Thessalonica. He started the church with Timothy. He says, but all of a sudden persecution started and they begin to attack Paul. And so Paul thought it was best for the church that he leaves and he leaves Thessalonica. He goes to Athens. Athens is about 100, 200 miles away from Thessalonica. And so they're fighting, they're fighting the distant things. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever fought the distance thing. I don't know if you've ever gone through suffering or, or a family member has gone through suffering or a child has gone through suffering and, and they haven't lived in your same town, they haven't lived in your same state. And then all of a sudden it's like the distance things even made it worse. I remember when my dad was diagnosed with bladder cancer and um, I, I still remember the day when he went in for his biopsy and we all knew about that. We're all waiting for the test results to come back. 
And that distance thing, it's 1,000 miles away. He lived in Houston, Texas at the time. I mean, the distance thing was like grueling. I mean, you, you, just wanted, you just wanted to be with him. You just wanted to be with your family. And you could not wait for the phone to ring. You could not wait for someone to call and let you know the diagnosis, to let you know what is going on. And so this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about this issue of a distance thing. There's something about distance that can make suffering even more difficult. I don't know if you're fighting a distance thing today, and, and maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're waiting for an answer. Maybe you're waiting for an answer from, from, from the Lord, or, or maybe you're waiting for an answer of a doctor's report, or, or maybe you're waiting for God to do something in your life, or maybe you're waiting for God to, to, to give you a word, or maybe you're waiting for something. Maybe, maybe this is the first time that you've walked through a season to where you've been separated from loved ones, and you're, you're wondering, are they okay? How are they doing? How are they making it? It's this issue of distance that Paul is dealing with. See, Paul understood this issue of distance, and it heightens the anxiety when there's distance between you and the other individual, when there's distance between the situation. And Paul was driven away because of, because of persecution. And as a result of that, he's wondering, did the, how, how is the church doing? Is it still being persecuted? Have they abandoned? Have they given up? Has the church been destroyed? And as a result of that, there was, there was no news. Because remember, in, the, in Paul's day, they had no social media. They had no cell phones. They didn't, they didn't have the Google. Uh, the Google hadn't been invented yet. They didn't have the Internet. They didn't have Facebook. They, they didn't have text. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't, they didn't have anything. They didn't even have letters. I mean, they didn't have, have, have a post office that they could rely on. And so as a result of that, Paul sends Timothy to go and to check on them. I mean, Timothy had, had, had been there with them. The reason that Paul sent Timothy is Timothy had a relationship with Paul and he had a relationship with church. There's something about when you go through suffering. <coughs> There's something about when you and I go through suffering. And God has placed people around us to encourage us. In other words, the word encourage is just simply a, a compound word, encourage. It means to place courage in someone. It means to, to place courage in someone. It's those friends, those relationships around you that you have that when you're around them all of a sudden just them talking they place courage in you that you feel like you know what I can do this you know what I can make it there's something about relationships around us if you're going to stay faithful in the seasons that God has planted you in 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 the situations with that you're in especially when you go through suffering you're going to need people around you that can just simply encourage you people that can support you listen as a as a pastor I, I spend a lot of time or have spent a lot of time in, in hospice and in hospital rooms and emergency rooms and, and, and here a while back uh, Karen had worked with a nurse at Parkview for a number of years and, and um, she was the nurse was Karen's friend uh, was placed in, in hospice and, and they, had a, they had a long 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 history and a long relationship and, and I, I would go there as a pastor right and I would go there as a pastor is one thing for me to go there and to share scripture is one thing for me to go there and pray but I'm telling you it was totally a different thing when Karen stepped into the room because she had a relationship with her. And they were almost like family. There's something about relationships in the body of Christ. There's something about that issue of having people around you that can encourage you. Man, I, I, I've watched it happen as a pastor to step into an emergency room, a hospital room, a hospice or somewhere like that and try to minister as a pastor and give scripture and pray for them and all those other things and then to sit there and watch what happens when their life group steps into the room 
when people that have walked alongside of them through suffering, they've shared scripture together, they've prayed for each other, they've encouraged each other, and then all of a sudden something happens in that moment. Sometimes people just need a, the shoulder of a friend to encourage them. This issue of encouraging and taking time to build Christian relationships around you is just so important. So, so Paul sent Timothy because Paul loved Timothy and they loved Timothy and Paul knew, knew them. I mean, that's why funerals are so important for us just to be there. And 99% of a funeral is just, is just showing up. There are no magic words. It's just your presence in the room just gives the family encouragement or courage to make it through that. I mean, I, I have a motto. Uh, my motto is this, is try to attend, you know, just try to attend every wedding that you're invited to. Never, never, never miss a funeral. Just never miss a funeral. Because you will never know what it does for a family when they know that they're not walking through this tragedy alone. I mean, it's an interesting thing. When, when Lazarus was sick, uh, Mary and Martha, they, they called for Jesus, right? And Jesus showed up. It took him some time to get there. By the time he got there, Lazarus had, had passed away. Uh, they had already had his funeral. He's already in the tomb. Jesus shows up. Mary and Martha meets him. They tell him what has taken place. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, that it says Jesus wept and he cried with them. Even though he knew Lazarus was going to rise again, even though he knew everything was going to be okay, Jesus, out of his humanity, sat and wept with them and cried with them and encouraged them and helped them through it. And so when we hurt and when we go through times, we need people around us. That's why so many times I'm so concerned about Christians that feel like, that I, I, I don't really need Christian friends. I don't really need a circle of Christian friends that I have a relationship with, that I study an open scripture with, that I pray with. That I, I really don't need that. Listen, I'm telling you, every one of us needs that. That's the way we get through. I, I thank God for the people that have encouraged me. I thank God for the people that have placed courage in me and told me when I've gone through difficult times, when I've gone through those seasons, when I felt like just, just quitting and giving up, that people could speak truth into me and give me courage to do what God has called me to do. And so, so the scripture says this. The scripture says, Jesus says, where two or three or, or more are gathered, I am there with you always. Solomon writes about this in Ecclesiastes. He says in Ecclesiastes 4.1, he said, again, I saw all the oppression that are done under the sun. That's life without God. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and, and they had no one. They had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors, there was power. And again, he said, there was no one. There was no one to comfort them. Verse 9 in Ecclesiastes, just a little bit farther, he says, two or more are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone. When he falls, it has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. In other words, all through Scripture, it is told to us the importance of not doing life alone, not isolating, that having people around you that can encourage you, that can support you. The second thing is this. If we're going to remain faithful through the seasons where God has planted us, the third thing is this is we need people around us that can strengthen us. We need people around us with the ability to strengthen us. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 
he, he says that, that no one may, may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we would suffer affliction just as it had come to pass and just as you know. In other words, you and I need people around us that can put strength in us, not only encourage us, that can put strength in us. We need people that can strengthen us. This word in the Greek simply means to, to put faith in us so that we can walk in with, with a firm foundation, <coughs> so that we could walk with him. Uh, to strengthen simply means to keep our spiritual balance, to keep our stability regardless of what the season we're in. That, that, those two words in the English is just simply one word in the Greek, be moved. Uh, be moved, the Greek word for that was used in classical Greek. It would describe a dog's tail that is wagging back and forth. And what, what he's trying to say is that when you go through trials, when we go through difficulty, we can be all over the place emotionally. I mean, we can, be, we can just be all over the place emotionally. And as a result of that, that's when we need believers that come, come alongside of us, not only encourage us, but they can stand on either side of us to give us stability so we're no longer all over the place. They can speak truth into our life. And Paul said this, I was honest with you. I told you that, you know what, becoming a Christian, when you become a Christian, that doesn't mean you're going to have a perfect life. And when you become a Christian, and even though some may tell you that, and even in Paul's day, it was a false gospel, and Paul was saying that even though you become a Christian, doesn't it, gonna, it will not exempt you from problems. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through difficulty. fact is, he says, verse 5, he says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter, that's Satan, had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. And First Peter five eight says, "Be sober minded, minded. Be watchful. Your advers <coughs> your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to de devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world." In other words, what Paul was trying to help him to understand, what Simon Peter is trying to help us to understand, is this: is just because you're a Christian doesn't exempt you from problems doesn't mean that you and i are going to have a, a perfect life the attacks will come from the from from the from the adversary we will we will go through illnesses we will go through challenges we will go through difficulty in life and satan would love to unsettle us and make us doubt our our faith and so paul was trying to prepare them reminding them i have prepared you for this just a, a really quick story and i, I think it's kind of a, a humorous story which most of mine are but here a while back, I, I, I did a wedding for a, for a young couple. And, uh, and you know what? Uh, it, was, it was that young couple. And, and one of your goals in premarital counseling is try to help them understand. Let's just be realistic about marriage, that type of deal. But it was that young couple that when they came to my office, they sat on the couch. I don't even, ever think they even knew that I was in the room. I mean, they stared at each other. They had that look at each other. Everything's so wonderful. Everything's going to be so wonderful. And I would tell them, you're going to face problems. They would say, no, we're not. We're so in love. Love will get us through it. And uh, I'm like, yeah, right. And so uh, but they, they, would, they would not, I mean, they, no matter what I said, they said, yeah, that might be every, everyone else, but we've never had a fight in, in, in our life. I go, oh, you will. And, uh, you know, and I tried to help them. Let's just be realistic here. Because if you don't help a young couple be risk, realistic about the challenges of marriage, when the, when, the, when the challenges come, then they're more apt to blow out because they're not prepared for it, right? But no matter what I do, did, I could not convince them they're ever going to have problems. Well, well, the wedding day comes. 
And so I'm in the side room over here with the groom, and, and the music has started. We've seated the grandparents. We're about ready to seat, seat the moms. And all of a sudden, I turn to the groom, and I literally think he's going to, I thought he's going to pass out. I mean, he has lost all the color in his face. His lips are white. He's no longer, like, really breathing. And I look at him. I say, hey, you got to break your knees. You know, don't, don't, don't lock your knees. You're going to pass out. And then I started teaching him how to breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, in through your nose, out through your mouth. And so, I mean, he is literally, I'm trying to get him so we can get, because I've had more, listen, it's so funny, I've had more grooms pass out at a wedding than brides. I don't even understand that. And so, uh, and, and so I'm trying to help him. And so then I ask him a question, and I says, I says, buddy, are you, are you okay? Do you need a stool? Are you okay? He goes, I'm okay. He said, if I can just get through this wedding, my life is going to be smooth sailing and perfect from here. I mean, and I'm looking at him. He's like, he's like, I'll be able to be with her 24-7. We'll never be apart. We'll do everything together. Life is going to be good. Life is going to be perfect. If I can just get through this wedding, it is going to be okay. What would you have told him? I mean, so I told, I told him, buddy, the easiest thing you're going to do in marriage is say I do, right? I mean, that is the easiest thing you're going to do is stand up in front of your loved ones and family and friends and say I do. You know when the real work begins? is after the wedding. And he lost all of his color again. And <laughs> you know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying the same is true in the Christian life. The easiest thing we have to do is say I do to Christ. The easiest thing we do is to accept him because of what he offered us, that he died for us on the cross. On the third day, he rose again. And as a result of that, he pursued us, and he gave us this living hope, born again when we accepted him. The easiest thing we have to do in life is to accept him and ask him to come into our life for the forgiveness of our sin. But after that, that's when the real work starts. And Paul was being honest about that. Paul was trying to help them to understand that just because you're a Christian does, ex does not exempt you from problems. It does not exempt you from illness. It does not exempt you from death. It does not exempt you from losing a loved one. It does not exempt you from, from kids rebelling and all of those other things that we go through it too. We just go through it different. And the third and the last thing, the way that, that God encourages us through people is that, that we need people that will comfort us. We need people that will encourage us. We need people that will strengthen us. And then we need people around us that can comfort us. Here's what the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 3. Uh, verse 6 but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you for this reason brothers in all our distress and affliction we have there's a word we have been comforted by you about you through your faith for we now live if we were standing fast in the Lord can you imagine Paul saying that you encourage me can you imagine what it was like for a group of people to realize that we encouraged the Apostle Paul who wrote more of the New Testament, started more churches? He was, he was bigger in life in their day. <coughs> Can I tell you, one of, the, one of the great things about doing church at Fellowship of the Rockies for the last almost 25 years is I know many of your stories and the way you have walked through affliction, the way you have walked through distress, the way you have walked through difficulty, the way you have walked through loss, you have encouraged me. There's something about this issue of, of Christian community. When challenges come in life, you and I have, have, have choices. You can respond irrationally, right? You can go through, you can go through challenges in life, and, and you can go through those storms, and all of a sudden you can just, just be all over the place like a tell, 
tell on a dog. You're all over the place and you're irrational. That's when you need people to come into your life and to strengthen you, to speak truth in, the lo- in your life and say, you know what, I think you're being irrational here. You can get through this. You can do this. It's not as bad as you think. Another way that you can respond is you can exaggerate the problem, right? I don't know if you've ever done that. <coughs> you end up in the wilderness at a difficult place, and you get tired, you get exhausted, you get weary, and if you're not careful, you will exaggerate the problem. You will make the problem bigger than it really is. I, uh, Elijah did that, right? In Old Testament, he's just an Old Testament prophet. Elijah had one of those down days in ministry. He had great difficulty. He was widened to the Lord. And Elijah made the statement to the Lord and says, Lord, you just need to know, I'm the only prophet. I'm the only pro- preacher doing what you've called us to do. I'm the only preacher preaching truth. I'm the only preacher still doing this. In other words, he exaggerated the problem. God looked at him and said, Elijah, I hate to tell you this, but there's 7,000 other guys doing the same thing you're doing. Suck it up and get moving. In other words, you're being irrational and you're exaggerating the problem. It's really not as bad. Or you know what? You can do a lot that they did in Auschwitz and you can just become resentful because you believe that once you became a Christian, life was going to be okay. Life was going to be perfect. You were never going to, if you just stayed faithful to God, you would never face challenges. You'd never face difficulty. You would never face anything difficult in, in your life. And then when the challenges came, that's why it was so important to Paul to help them understand these are coming. These days are coming. You will have to go through this. Jesus said the, right, the same thing, right? He says, he says, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus was honest about this. And so that's when we need people around us that can help us and to encourage us. We need people that, that, that can comfort us. We, we got a ministry that is starting uh, September the 18th, Wednesday night. It came out of a group of people. It was, it's called Grief Share. And it came out of a group of people in our church that had gone through loss. They had, they had lost husbands. They had lost some parents. Uh, they, they walked through mourning and grieving. Uh, they said, what we noticed, that the people around us, you know, uh, when we went through the, the illness or the death and they were there at the funeral, but it seemed like when the funeral was over, everybody was gone. And everybody, everybody had left. And, and they says those days were the hard days. And they said, we don't want this to happen to anybody else in our church. It came out of, out of, out, out of a passion and out of, a, out of an experience out of their life. And so they got together and we're starting Grief Share. Actually, they're starting Grief Share September the 18th on a Wednesday night. For anybody that has ever gone through grieving, uh, that needs help through that grieving process, needs help through that mourning process, it is led by people that <coughs> it is led by people that have experienced grieving and mourning themselves, because it is true. When we go through difficulty in, in life, we need somebody around us that has gone through the same problems we've gone through, and they've overcome. They've overcome. There's something about this issue. Uh, Isaiah 40, 31 says this. <coughs> but, but they wait for the Lord. And, but they wait for the Lord, and they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary, and they shall walk and not grow faint. There's three stages of life, I believe, and it's right here in the Scripture. There's the on top of the world stage that they mount up like, like, like wings of eagles. And so there's the on top of the world stage. There's going through the routine of life stage. Uh, they shall run and not grow weary. And then there's another stage of life. And, and that's when we need people around us that can import, uh, encourage us, support us, and comfort us. And all we, can do is, all we can do is walk and not grow faint. That's when, that's, when we, that's when we need each other. 
That's when we have to have each other. If you want to stay faithful through the difficult challenges of life, and if you want to stay faithful exactly where God has planted you, then you need people around you that can encourage you, that can comfort you and strengthen you. Because the truth is, we all need each other. Would you bow your heads with me and, and close your eyes?